When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Taking Care of Lady Business, where we put the business back in lady business. Hosted by Jennifer Justice, founder and CEO of the Justice Department, a management strategy and law firm that works with female and woke male entrepreneurs, executives, talent, brands, and creatives to build and maximize their wealth, focusing in the areas of tech, consumer product, finance, media, entertainment, and fashion. Jennifer interviews entrepreneurial women who have done it all, who will be sharing their secrets on all things business, especially as a woman. These highly successful women will share strategies and insights, including what not to do and what it takes to win. And now, here's your host, Jennifer Justice. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Taking Care of Lady Business, where we're putting the business back into lady business. I'm here today with Susan McPherson. She is the founder and CEO of McPherson Strategies and the author of The Lost Art of Connecting. Hello, Susan. Hello. What a joy it is to see you. And thank you so much for having me here. Thank you for taking the time to be with us. I know that we're going to get a lot of amazing tidbits today. So I want to start with, you know, um, just a short recap of your very long storied successful career, if you can, and tell us how you got into what you're doing. And then we'll go from there. Well, at 56 years of age, I can honestly say I have had nine lives, although now I often say I've had 10 since I published a book, yeah. which is very exciting, but, you know, definitely not an easy thing to do. Yeah. Um, I had children, and I've been told that publishing a book is the closest I would ever get <laughs> to birthing a child, but I certainly uh-huh. don't want to even get into that with anyone who has birthed children, because yeah. um, what do I know, right? Um, but I have to say, I've had a varied and storied professional career, but the one thing that has powered me throughout every single good thing that has happened professionally has been through the connections that I have made, starting with my very first uh, interview with Gannett Corporation, which landed me my job at USA Today. My father made a connection for me to the then, and this was 1986, the senior vice president of personnel for Gannett. Um, in other words, what today we call HR or. Yeah. And yeah. I was living in upstate New York. I just, you know, I'd been going back and forth to DC for various internships, such things. And my dad had introduced me to a woman named Madeline Jennings, who was one of the highest ranking professional women at that time. Um, she actually served on the board of Gannett, which was very rare. Okay? Yeah, very but I had an interview with her. I went into her office in, in Rosalind, Virginia, which is where USA Today used to be. And literally, I remember it looking like the size of a football field. Like I had never seen that kind of corporate office before. And she had a mink coat on the back of the door, which I had never seen in real life either. Anyhow, long story short, she interviewed me. And a week later, I had a call from then the cover stories editor of USA Today, Karen Jurgensen. And I got my first job that Amazing. way. And have worked for many years at a company called PR Newswire, where mm-hmm. I was entrepreneur. 
And I was with them for 17 years. There was a five-year stint in the middle where I did business development and marketing at a at, a, at Concur Technologies. But within Pierre Newswar, I got to do things like create products, marketing, sales. I helped us open our offices in Beijing and Shanghai. And I have to say for any of the listeners, having the opportunity to be an entrepreneur really prepares you if you ever have the desire to run your own business. Right. Not that that was ever even in the the headlights for me, but the skills you learn, um, the interpersonal skills, the coalitions you have to build within a company across functions has helped me so much um, years later running a company. And then I'll just quickly say in 2005, I went to Afghanistan with a nonprofit that I was involved in called the Business Council for Peace which was essentially a uh, network of business professionals that were pooling their business acumen to help women entrepreneurs in regions of conflict. Mm -hmm. So Afghanistan, Rwanda, El Salvador, Honduras. And we would put women entrepreneurs on a three-year trajectory. So it wasn't like just writing a check and walking away. It was over three years, things like training these entrepreneurs with QuickBooks, training them how to market and sell their businesses. Because we believed in countries of conflict, more jobs equals less violence. And if women could be creating jobs, then they're leading to a recovery in these societies. And it was in Afghanistan that I saw business being a force for good. I saw these women working. And that was when the light bulb went off. And I was like, you know, if I was to say I had an aha moment, it was a a slow aha moment. But I was like, I want to work in helping get business to be a force for good with all their power, with all their money, with all their employees. And that was 2005. Um, I won't bore everybody with all what came next, but in 2013, I was working for a consulting firm where there was a massive exodus of people. And for anybody listening who works at consulting firms, when that happens, it means you got to find a new job. So I literally, two organizations... Girl Rising and Global Citizen Year, both nonprofits, said, Susan, if you leave, we'll hire you for three months. And because I was terrified. I had had a paycheck since I was 15. Yeah, I know, right? Yeah, yes, yeah. And bag lady syndrome was circling around in my head. The the significant other I had at the time was earning zero dollars. So I was, you know, supporting both of us. And all of a sudden I was like, okay, I'm gonna do it. So I left on a Friday. I started on a Monday because I was convinced that they were both going to change their mind. And I named the company McPherson Strategies because it was just a placeholder until I got my next job. McPherson is my ex-husband's name. And we divorced in 2003. Wow. Thank goodness he's a good guy. But I would have been a little more creative. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And then in the last eight years of running the company, and we are a social impact communications firm. We help companies, nonprofits, foundations um, literally critically communicate the impact they're having on society or whatever or populations they are affecting. And during the eight years, we'll be eight actually in September, 95% of our business has been inbound. And what that told me is all the connections I made in my 20s, 30s. And for the most part of my 40s, I founded the company at 48, actually came from those meetings, those introductions, the support I gave others mm-hmm. uh, because it's come back around. Yeah. Amazing. So, so, very long story, but one no, of no, it's great. Oh, tell us, just tell us what it is, uh, McPherson strategies actually does. We help um, all the tools that a communications firm would use 
earned media, PR, digital, social, coalition building, partnership creation, but for the amplification of purpose and impact. So our clients range from Tiffany & Co. Foundation to Salesforce to Zoetis, which makes Pet Pharma, to uh, the Women's Philanthropy Institute, uh, Reimagine Gender, um, a membership association called Leadership Now, which is galvanizing business leaders to protect democracy. Mm -hmm. Voting rights are being curtailed, and it's a very kind of scary, precarious situation. and many, many others. Um, Endwell Foundation, which is helping all of us plan for end of life, because mm-hmm. it is one of the things that definitely is going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. All right. Well, good. I know. I love it. Like the, for the force of good, you know, yeah, um, we try. Because, yes, it can be like, you know, I, like, you know, my motto with the Justice Department, it's like I try to get, you know, more wealth into women's hands, because if we have wealth, we have equal power. And if we have equal power, we're going to use it in a different way for good. Yeah. The world will be a better place. So that's my thesis. And the only way to prove me wrong is, you know, if we have equal power. So <laughs> and you live that and do that every single day. And I have been a beneficiary of that. And I've seen you sprinkle that magic everywhere in a, in a very strategic and powerful way, Jen. So thank, thank you. you. So you wrote this book, The Lost Art of Connecting, which came out in was it March or April? March. Yeah. Um, so tell us what inspired you to do it, to write it. So- Actually, when you see the title, many people think it was um, sparked by the pandemic, right? Because we've all been isolated, lonely, lack of connection. But the book was actually conceived four years ago. And it was my response to, one, seeing how much I have benefited from the connections I have made um, and making that such a part of who I was and leading with that. But also, I wanted us to get back that intentionality, that humanity, meaning not looking at our clicks and likes and followers as a measure to say, oh, we're connected, right? Right. But actually, the impact that happens when you make connections, the companies that get funded, the nonprofits that are started, the people that, you know, are able to build coalitions, you know, that's what I wanted to showcase. And I was very lucky to grow up as the the youngest of um, a set of parents that were extraordinarily connected deeply using the telephone and the manual typewriter. And I joke, but it was the truth. Every morning at our tiny breakfast table, I would vie for real estate because they would have the five local newspapers plus yesterday's or the day before's New York Times and Boston Globe because we lived in upstate New York. It would take a few days to get there. And they'd be madly clipping and cutting going to their respective typewriters and typing short little misses and sending them off in the mail. That was what I wanted to get back, that intentionality, that care, that no agenda setting, just doing it because they wanted to reach out and touch someone. Right. Amazing. Thank you. I didn't even know that. Thank you for sharing. And so what is it that you want people to, to learn from this? What do you want people to understand about the connections? Well, I think, honestly, it is, first of all, it's different from networking, Yeah, uh, not anti-networking, but for people, for instance, who are shy or introverted, meaningfully connecting is far more palatable. It is far more accessible because it is one-on-one, one-on-two, maybe. And instead of walking into a room, whether it's a virtual room that we're mainly stuck in now, or when we eventually get back into some unnormal normal, it is about finding maybe three people in the room that you can share three things, meet them, 
and learn three things, right? Like it is, it is about being able to create the long-term relationships that stand the test of time, right? The people that show up in the good and the bad, the people, and, and Jen, we obviously know many people like this, that you can tap when you need something, but also leading with how you can be helpful. Yeah. And when you lead with how you can be helpful, I fervently believe the world comes back and helps. I mean, I have had, as you know, a series of mishaps this year. I've been hospitalized three times, almost four months, three and a half months. I mean, it's insane. My dog even had um, ACL surgery. And, you know, I am not good at like asking for help because I've always been very self-sufficient, but I didn't have to ask for help. People came running. And I really believe it's because of the help that I've been giving. And I'm not a good pro quo, right? This is a natural human desire. But I also think in the world that we're living in that is so, you know, easy to, you know, connect and DM and all those things, if we stop and take a breath and we think long-term and intentionally think about what are our goals and our hopes and our dreams and think about who mindfully do we want to connect with or reconnect with that are going to help us meet those dreams, we're going to be better off. But we also need to think about who we can be helping, yeah. Right, right, right. Well, I guess that's part of it. So, you know, I feel like, you know, I help the majority of which are women, right? And that's who I work with and for and, and helping them not be so shy about connecting or asking for things, right? And so what what do you say to them when they're like, I, I feel weird just reaching out for XYZ is, you know? Yep. Um, it sounds goofy, but in the book, I call it learn the five minute ask, meaning make little asks along the way. Think of them as breadcrumbs, right? So that when you have that big ask, you have people who are invested in your journey, right? So, you know, you're starting a company, right? Obviously, you could immediately write and tell everybody you are. But then over time, share your successes, share your wins, share a few of, you know, be vulnerable and share a few of your challenges. That way, when you do have asks, it is much easier. And I always suggest come with options, you're much less likely to be ghosted if you're asking people for something, if you give them several choices. It's human nature, right? Yeah. Um, if you put out a big ask, let's say, and somebody can't at that point in time, you know, feel they can be helpful, it's much easier for them just to delete. But if you give them a few choices, and yes, maybe they're going through challenges right now and they don't have the time to do X, but you give them Y, they are much more likely to respond. So right. I always suggest little and and it can be as simple as you know asking for the funding asking for two intros asking for shares on social what about um so i have this theory you know rebecca minkoff and i had lunch i would say like three years ago she was like what do you think it is it's not pro you know women are propelling forward and i do have a bit of a theory of it at that oftentimes and i gave her an example i'll share the example first but it was that um, when I, you know, was working at Rock Nation and I was doing some deals for some of the principals and I helped them out, you know, two different bags appeared on my desk, one a $5,000 Chanel bag and a Lady Die bag, right? Because they were thanking me. I got paid already, but they were thanking me. Another time I introduced um, somebody who wanted to buy into a hotel brand and I got a Birkin bag. And you know, I think business. <laughs> this is, but, that, but that's what I'm saying. It's like, you can't like, if you introduce somebody and they get big funding, that person who introduced them should get something for that. Not a thank you card, like money, things that really help, right. you know? 
And what are your thoughts on that? You know, you're the one being interviewed. Like, what, what do you what kind of advice do you give on that? Sure. Well, I, I agree with you, obviously. And it's something I learned very young manners, right? I mean, yeah. it, it's embarrassing to share this, but um, when my dad would, uh, if he bestowed a gift on like my cousins, so his nephews and nieces, if they didn't write him a thank you note, he would send them a self-addressed thank you note. Okay. I mean, my father was a professor. He taught yeah. for years at a women's college. And I was like, you know, that kind of like, you want to put your head in the sand. You're so horrified. Yeah. But dad, don't do that. But, you know, obviously I don't expect, I never expect anything. And that's just partly who I am. Yeah. If they do, then that's a wonderful thing. But I tend to look at it as the long haul. Yes, we should always thank, we should always circle back when we, you know, when somebody introduces us to somebody and let them know what happened and let them know the good that happened. Because number one, it's it's the right thing to do. And two, you're perpetuating that connection that you made. And that way, if you three years from now have a request, that person's going to remember it. Yeah. Um, but I look at the eight years of business that has been inbound to my company. Right. So I think of the gifts that have been my bestowed on me as thank yous are people who have come and either referred business. Yeah. No, that's, that's true too. Yeah. So, and I'm not, I totally am with you and I'm human. Obviously I like to be thanked when I do things, but I also, if we look at this as a longer trajectory um, and think of, you know, as we've seen over the last 10 years, women's communities, women's networks have grown. So this reciprocity is much more common than I think it was when you and I were first starting in our career. Yeah. I'm older than you, but I think now this notion of long-term is becoming much more common because we have a trajectory to look back on. Right. But I think be very mindful of circling back and, you know, it, thank you note is, is sufficient, but if you can do more, do more. Yeah. I, I'm really talking about things that like financially greatly benefit, you know, people because of that. It's, you know, if you're selling your company for $10 million, sending, you know, yeah. Give me some fifty thousand dollars or something like that. That's an, that's a good thing to do. I mean, sure. because because all the thank yous in the world. I mean, for smaller things, of course. But you know, we need money. Yeah. <laughs> well, referral fees are a wonderful way to do yes, that. Yes, exactly. Right? I mean, and my firm certainly does that. I've been the recipient of that. Yeah. Um, and that's something I think men have done for a long, long time without um, even asking. Yeah. Doing that. Um, and I. I don't take that. I mean, I think that is part of connecting. I mean, there's a chapter in my book all about talking about money yeah. as a means to connect because it is something that we all deal with. It is a commonality among the uncommonality, right? right? No matter yeah. who we are, we have to deal with money. Um, so again, see that as a, as a means to foster connection and something that we abhorrently don't want to talk about. Right. Talk more about that, though. What do you say in that chapter about money in particular? Well, everything from if you have if you are um, of privilege and have resources to use it in ways like angel investing to literally not only be able to support others and help in my case, you know, a fund women entrepreneurs, but, um, and I feel very fortunate to have the ability to do that. But what I have found by doing that is I've been able to learn about their entrepreneurial journey that then helps. So it's not one-sided. Then I can bring that back to the company that I run Yeah. Even though I was an entrepreneur, founding a company at 48, I didn't have the kind of, to be honest with you, I still can't manage an Excel file. So, you know. <laughs> you can't do everything, right? Like, I don't no, ever want to no. manage an Excel but file. But I, you know, I am an accidental entrepreneur, but I'm just saying, 
by the notion of using that resource that I had at my disposal, it's also helped me. I also think, you know, where you can be philanthropic, that opens doors, but also it enables you to learn perhaps, uh, you know, things about the world that you wouldn't learn if you weren't able to fund. And I think it's important just to have the transparency because when we know, for instance, what each of us make, that is information that then we can go back and use when we're negotiating raises, when we're negotiating new job. But if we don't know, we're in the dark. So the chapter actually talks about all these ways to actually, there's, I think, if I remember correctly, like 10 questions you can ask to start the questions. Um, I also showcase um, in full transparency, she's a client, but her name is uh, Linda Davis Taylor, and she runs a podcast called Money Talks with LDT. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she rose to the highest ranks of the investment world. And now in retirement, she wants to help young women talk about money because we're wow. all, I mean, I'm putting myself, yeah, we, no, not a young <laughs> woman, but um, it's a really great podcast. And you know, and I know many of the guests that have been on there that talk about how we can have these conversations. Exactly. Um, and then so... I want to talk a little bit about you investing in um, women and female founders. Yeah. How did you yeah. get started in that and why? Well, about 10 years ago, um, you know, when I, uh, this may sound like a bad excuse, but when I realized I wasn't having children, um, I had some money from the horrible death of my mother. There was a class action lawsuit. My mom was killed in a hotel fire um, that my family was able to retrieve after a 10 year uh, civil lawsuit. This was back in the 90s. And I socked that money away. And I decided that was, you know, for a rainy day. Well, come, you know, 10 years ago, which was 15 years later, I was kind of like, well, you know, I don't know if that rainy day is ever going to come. And what can I be doing to honor my mother's legacy? My mom went back to work when I was seven. Yeah. Um, huge proponent of women in the workforce and a huge proponent of ERA, et cetera. And I thought to myself, you know, this could be a way to use some of that money for good. Um, I had always tried to be philanthropic um, and I'm not saying you do one or the other, but I thought this would be a good addition to that. And also would help me have a seat at the table at some of these, these gatherings um, of women founders. But I only, I decided I was only going to fund women led startups Mm -hmm. because we know the, you know, horrific um, numbers, investment dollars that go to women and even worse statistics going to women of color, um, not next women. But um, I have now invested in 19 women led startups. Amazing which is terrifying. Um, Three have failed. But I will say when people, you know, I never count when people say, what's your strategy? Do not follow this. I fall in love with the founder and I write a check. (laughs) That is not, I am not recommending that. That is not financially responsible, but it feeds something in me. And I have learned so much from the companies I've invested in, the Muse, Hint Water, Apolitical, um, Messy.fm. Um, and it gives me a lot of joy. And yeah. Hopefully there'll be a one or two big wins and we'll go from that. And, and, and I'm really trying to find women of color led founders. I invested in Shauna Ewing's um, Genie. Oh, I love her. Yeah. Yeah, and I invested in um, Lorene Pendleton's new fund within Portfolio called Rising Tides. Yeah. Um, so it's exciting. I mean, it may be, you know, pound, but pennywise. I forget the term. Pennywise, pennywise and pound foolish. Yeah, I, I may not be, but, um, you know, we can't live forever either. And I, right. it's a good well, way. 
And it ties into your connecting, right? Because you're yeah. giving, you're seeing what yeah. I can do and then turning yeah. around and give back. Yeah. Like, so, you know, if you have, um, look, we don't, we, you know, I know that you have a very busy day. So, um, but I do have a few more questions about the connecting. Like, yeah. what advice do you give people when they say they want to connect or they just don't know how and they're stuck in their yeah. job or, you know, who are the people they should connect with and how? What are the easiest steps? And I'll quickly go over the methodology in my book, which is called Gather, Ask, Do. In the gather phase, which is um, primal in a sense, you do that most important connection, and that is with yourself. And you literally do a kind of audit to figure out what are your hopes and dreams in the next four years, four months, four weeks. And I would dare say that this is a very good time, this weird vortex we're living in, okay? Two, Think about what are your superpowers or secret sauces. And believe me, every listener here has many of them. Yeah. Um, Because the underlying theme of the book is leading with how can I be helpful? Mm -hmm. You can't be helpful if you can't think about what you can be doing to help, right? And then think about who is it that you want to connect with or reconnect with that is going to help you meet those dreams and also that you can help them meet the dreams. And lastly, what are you going to do to break that hermetically sealed bubble that myself included, live in when we tend to surround ourselves with people that look like us, sound like us, that are the same color, race, and cultural heritage as us. So that's the gather phase. When you're done with that, and you know, obviously it's an ongoing process, is the ask phase. And the ask phase is where you actually think and determine what are the important questions I'm going to ask others so that I understand what their hopes and dreams and goals are. Right. If you listen carefully, which we are woefully bad at doing, myself included, (laughs) you can get to the phase that I love the most, and that's the do phase. And that's where, if you've listened carefully, you then can become responsive, reliable, trustworthy, and say the things that you said you were going to do and do. And I want to remind everybody, this isn't about doing it the next hour, okay? This is doing it over the long haul. And by doing that, you're creating these reciprocal connections. And- you know, Jen, we see this all the time in the women that we know. And men too. I just happen to not know any men right now. I don't know what <laughs> happened. Um, about six years ago, they kind of disappeared from my world. So I need to get out of my bubble. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, sounds like it, right? Taking your own <laughs> advice. Amazing. Thank you. That's so smart. How did you like come up with all of this? This is just like thinking over time and witnessing, yeah. experiencing. Yeah. yeah. I mean, honestly, I mean, in, in full transparency to write a business book, you have to have a methodology. I mean, yeah. that is the only way a publisher at this point in time, unless you're a known quantity, right? And I'm, a, you know, nobody knew my name. And I really did some healthy gathering myself to think about how is it over the years have I made such deep, meaningful connections? And I think through various times, I actually use this gather, ask, do, and mm-hmm. I continue to do it. Um, I don't think of it in such prescriptive ways, but in practicality, if you think about it, it is especially right now something that could be very, very useful for us because we have honestly an opportunity to reset. And I haven't seen that in my lifetime. You know, when do we have a do-over? And we, I mean, if we can get out of this ridiculousness we're in, we will have a do-over opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. Exciting in some ways. I love it. Thank you so much. Okay, I have one last question, which which I ask everybody. What is the worst advice you've ever been given? Just put your chin up and smile. (laughs) That'll solve everything. (laughs) It'll come along and it'll be great. I will. 
tell you that my late father gave me great advice that I have used over the years. And so it is from a man. But this is a man who taught at a women's college for 40 years. So he was very attuned and had two daughters. He also had a son, but still. And he said to me, nothing is a prison sentence. So don't be afraid to take risks. You can always go back. Obviously, it wasn't intending that his daughter was going to end up in prison. Right. It still happened. But this notion of... You know, I have moved many, many times, which was terrifying and scary. But in the back of my mind, I could always go back. Yeah. And I left Seattle and I came to New York. In the back of my head, I could have always gone back. When I left PR Newswire, I actually did go back. So, I mean, you know, it's it's, sometimes it frees you up to making or taking on risks that you would normally be afraid to do. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's great. Well, thank you so much. If people want to find you, how do they find you? Well, on the socials, it's Susan McP1. The company is McPherson Strategies or McPStrategies.com. And the book is The Lost Art of Connecting.com. And it can be found at any any of your favorite online or uh, real bookstores. Amazing. Congratulations on that. Thank you for listening to this episode of Taking Care of Lady Business. Please let us know what you think. Give us ideas of other topics that you want. Until then, I'm Jennifer Justice.